Kyle, can you say Natito Natida three times fast? Oh boy. Natito Natida. Natito Natida. <laughs> Get into a different rhythm with you it. You got a Nitido, rhythm. Yeah, Nitido. there we go. Yeah. Plus, it's just a pendulum swinging. <laughs> All right, I'll give that well one played, to you. Well played, DS type. Well played. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Interrogang podcast. This week on the Interrogang, after reviewing some hot new releases, we will discuss the optimal size of a font family, not your actual family, that's your business, and then we will explore the idea of a foundry groupie. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with my good friend, your Interrogang co-host, and a man who, when he has a burden to carry hill, take it on with Ariel, Kyle Reed. How are you today, Kyle? Hi, Josh. I'm doing great. It's good to see you. I try to make the rhymes not too obvious, but also Ariel was hard to rhyme with. I didn't think that was going to be hard, but all I could come up with is a surprise. All I could come up with was burial, and that just felt a little macabre for the situation. (laughs) So I appreciate that one. I took it a different direction. (laughs) Oh well. Okay, let's go. This is week. 37 2022 Hi friends, the weeks are marching on and on. It is hard to believe that we'll be getting some real fall weather up here in the northern hemisphere shortly. Uh, this week saw a few excellent releases from some foundries that haven't released something in a while, so uh, it was pretty good to see. Let's take a look. First up is Brigada by Sumo Type, uh, which was released on Future Fonts this week. Brigada is, quote, designed to explore the possibilities of a script typeface based on the broad nib pen, end quote. It's a stylist, a stylized take on a contrasted script, making brushed letter forms out of what seemed like monolinear paths at first. Then you realize they are anything but monolinear. Brigada is designed as a display face, debuting on future fonts with just one style for now. And I think that's the common way to go on future fonts, kind of put an idea out there and expand as you go. Mm-hmm. I think this typeface has potential for some real innovation and fun. Probably got some surprising takes up its sleeves with the, on, on the script letter form. So overall, I'm very intrigued by Brigada. There's some... Uh, yeah, cool things happening. It, it's already a fun and surprising one style. It's like there's a little stowaway on every letter. There's this little stroke mm. added to every letter uh, that I find very intriguing. Yeah, it looks like it's kind of done all in straight lines too, getting all your curves on straight lines. So yeah, all all around a good buy, uh, a good find, and a cool project. Worth keeping an eye on where it goes next. Staying in the script genre for this next one, Resistenza type released a new script typeface this week called Dream Away. Ah, Dream Dream, Away. Dream Away. This one is a little more in line with what you'd expect from a script typeface, uh, being based on a wide handwriting form with most excellent variety of fuzzy line textures and weights. So to be specific, it's a range of six weights and two rough styles in two weights for a total of eight typefaces in the family. So now that, so I've never been that into flowy scripts. Like this one feels a little bit more stylized and extended uh, in the joins, which has never you know been my thing, but that's okay. But I can really respect one when it's clear that fun was had in its design process. This one looks like Resistenza had a good time making it. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And Dream Away does an 
a great job of reflecting, I think, realistic handwriting. Yeah. In that it, it goes with the imperfections. And it's really hard to right. design imperfection well. We're too used to being as clean and lovely. And it really makes it feel like this is how someone could write. And it's not always the the loveliest. Yeah. So uh, yeah, with all the tools that we've got, um, you know, precision really is the default these days. And to make something rough, have like a rough hand textured style, it's refreshing almost. And it executes that well. So third up on the list today is Nitido from DS Type. Nitido has arrived in full humanist glory this week. It is a humanistic sans serif companion to DS Type's mega Nitida fam serif superfamily. So I'd say Nitido is much more than Nitida with the serifs cut off. It makes the most of swapping genres and claims its own ground. The X height is very high. The ascenders and descenders are not very long at all, which just makes the whole font feel open and very legible. Uh, it makes a great showing of some slightly flared terminals and odd angled cuts as well, kind of bringing in that humanistic uh, quirk. Nitido lands as a family of 14 fonts, that's seven weights of Romans and italics, that all correspond very neatly to the Nitida family from DS Type. All right, Josh. Well, I thought we'd jump into our episode today with a little story time. Oh. Um, it's one that you might recognize with a few slight alterations. This is very exciting. Very exciting. We've never really had story time on this podcast before, but uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. Can it coincide with snack time or do I have apple slices or something? To... You can grab some snacks. Always encouraging the snacks. <laughs> it's probably not great on a podcast. You go ahead. Okay. Once upon a time, there was a podcast producer named Josh. Oh, oh I, this feels relatable. <laughs> I wrote it for you, so uh, pay attention. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Bro. <laughs> uh, he loved type, despite only getting into the game recently and thought he'd start a type foundry. Pretty soon, he had an idea for a font that he wanted to make and sell. It was genius, probably the best font ever, and he had to make it happen. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> However, he didn't really know how big of a family to make. So he started to think about the parts of his type family that might be interesting to people out there. He considered the weights. Josh loves a typeface with a range of weights. <laughs> Always. He thought about the family of just one weight. This range is too no. small, he exclaimed. Too... So he thought yeah. about a family of 25 weights. Oh. This range is too big, he said. I would say that. So yeah. he thought about making a family with eight weights. Ah, this range is just right, he said happily, and he felt really good about it. After he'd considered the family's weight range, he decided that he was feeling a little zesty. Yeah, sure. Who wouldn't? Yeah, as you do. <laughs> so he walked into his living room and thought about widths. That's something popular typefaces have. But how many, he asked. Wow, Josh sounds very organized. And he was not just standing in his living room talking to nobody. He asked this to his dog, Joey, <laughs> who gave him a puzzled look. Yeah, good. That sounds right. Very realistic. Maybe just a narrow width, Josh said aloud. Joey shook his head as if to say no. 
So he considered something larger, maybe a range of like 20 widths. He posed. Joey shook his head as if to say no. <laughs> so he tried another question as if to get something good out of Joey this time. How about just three widths? He asked. Joey sprung a little smile because that felt just right to him. So feeling better about his prospects, Josh settled down into the chair to rest. It's been a long day of thinking That's after all. Very busy. He called his friend Kyle about the plans for his type family. Kyle asked, how many weights will your type family have? Eight, said Josh. Mm -hmm. Cool, said Kyle. <laughs> how many widths will your type family have? Kyle's very supportive. He's a good friend. <laughs> Three, said Josh. Awesome, said Kyle. And will there be italics? Josh paused, looked across the room oh, and exclaimed, Joey, you didn't say anything about italics. <laughs> the end. Oh, oh. And it had a message. Absolutely. And that message is, my dog is better at typography than I am. It's not, uh, we don't know it. that's not true. <laughs> I love a good moralistic story on our podcast. I learned so much. Uh, what was the moral of this story, Kyle? Well, I think you can kind of tell that this was a uh, extra extraction of, or I guess interpretation of the Goldilocks story. Yes, I did. I did realize. I thought uh, that three bears were going to <laughs> enter my house at some point. Joey would not have done well with that. No, no. Um, but I, I tell this story not to uh, make you feel like a child, but to kind of illuminate this point <laughs> that um, there is such thing as the typographic Goldilocks zone. And uh -huh. this is something that I wanted to pose to you today. Uh, is how many fonts is just right for a family release these days yeah. to meet the public's expectations? Yeah, you know, there is is there such a thing as too small or too big, or is there you know a, a general consensus around the idea of a type family being just the right size? Yeah, well, I think that's that's interesting to me because we are seeing all these releases and we've seen a wide range of size, mm -hmm. number of styles as part of the family size. Uh, we've seen in the releases in the past uh, two and a half years, a range from one to a whopping 294. I think that's the record, yeah. Number of styles in uh, the releases. <laughs> and so it does feel like there may not be one right answer, but it feels like there is a sweet spot right. somewhere in there. Yeah. And I also think it's it's not always necessarily what the public expectations. I think there's a sweet spot for the amount of work a foundry is putting into. Obviously, that's that's up to the foundry. Absolutely. But you have, yeah. What's possible? You have opportunity cost to take into account. If you add another style, that's more work. Mm -hmm. That's more time. And you might enter into diminishing returns. So... I think this is a very interesting yeah. thought experiment. Yeah, I think that there is a, a that there. First of all, the typographic Goldilocks zone exists. I think that there is a really great range for a modern uh, type family to be marketed for sale. I think we see a lot of great things coming out of like uh, in progress foundries like uh, like Future Fonts, where you can just sell one style to get going. But the goal is always to grow from there. Right. So one is certainly too small for making your work worth it in the end. Uh, it's like not enough earnable potential there. One can be the answer if that's the point. Like 
yeah you are making i'm making this font that's the goal true yes it's not surprising when we see one style in a release uh it right. is surprising when we see 294. yes and i love that that's the record and that's 294 individual fonts in a family each one for sale so you can pick one of those 294 and buy it individually or you can just buy the whole family um <laughs> So yeah, I think that there is a just right size. Uh, and just for transparency, that uh, release was Troy Mill, Trois Mill, Trois Mill, Trois yeah, Mill from Sharp Type. <laughs> Get your French on there, Josh. Trois Mill, Trois Mill, yeah. Uh, which is I'm thankful that there aren't three thousand actual so, <laughs> um, typefaces in that family. There, I guess there could have been, but they stopped yeah. at two ninety four. So you could keep going, I suppose, to into infinity. So Kyle, what is your perfect, just right Goldilocks range of number of styles in a uh, font family? Uh, I'm going to say the number of typefaces in a font um, that I think is just right for modern competition, um, you know, to be marketable out there to studios and individual font buyers and taking into consideration the amount of work it takes to produce it. I would say that the Goldilocks zone, I want to give a range, uh, and I think that you would object to that. I do. I asked you for one <laughs> number. Follow the uh, prompt, Kyle. Okay. I think, uh, well, the, <laughs> the theory here is called the typographic Goldilocks zone. So I'm going to give you one example, uh, one number, uh, but okay. I doth protest. Give your Give your range. I think the full-on range would be 16 to 32 fonts. Okay. Or typefaces in a font. But if I had to give one number, it's right in the middle of that, 24. I think 24 okay. typefaces. Yeah, or 24 fonts. I know those terms aren't exactly interchangeable, but you get it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, 24 it gives enough space for a variety of weights and widths without making it too hard to produce over a certain amount of time. So overall, um, yeah, 24. There's your number. Now, we, I do have some data on the releases from 2020 and 2021. This is mm -hmm. all independent Foundry releases of what okay. the median average number of styles, that's how I was defining it, number of styles in a font family. Oh, cool. So, I, so we know what the real world is. Do you think it's, do you think it's 24 or do you think it's more or less? Than, than your ideal. Oh man, if I had to give an over under, it's. I think the median. Yeah. Is probably lower than twenty four. You are correct, sir. It is twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Twelve is the median number of styles. So. Cool. Okay. So it's less than, than that. We see more, that are smaller, than we see. Mm. Are huge, which I think is not surprising. That includes future font releases that includes some releases that are in progress perhaps so it's not surprising you don't see right. as many full-on collections coming out where it might be in the hundreds so it's not surprising to me that 12 is our is our average right there. i think that's a great number because it, it shows that people are kind of balancing that time versus productivity equation quite well right uh, right people say all right you know what this could be could be more, uh, but I'm just going to go, you know, publish it now um, at t at 12 or less, or you know, a little over. I think that's kind of cool. 12.
Kyle, I have perhaps a weird question for you this week for Mm -hmm. a big discussion. And that is, is there such a thing as a foundry groupie? Ooh, foundry groupie. People who... What I mean by this is people who devote their font buying needs to one and only one foundry and are excited to follow that one foundry for their font needs. And I'm curious about this because there are just so many, obviously, independent foundries, um, all of which have their own identity and they're all vying for the same retail space. Yes. So... It does make sense to me that a font buyer would turn to the same foundry over and over. You know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. And then you wait by the proverbial stage door to see what new releases come (laughs) out of that foundry. That makes total sense to me. But it simultaneously makes sense to me that a font buyer buys the font they need regardless of Mm -hmm. the foundry. And that they would be severely limited if they only look to one foundry for all their font buying needs. Oh, Kyle, what a mess. I don't know what to make of this. I need your help on this. There's sure. there's two big questions here as I see it, or two big groups, font buyers, font foundries. The font buyer's perspective, A, is there such a thing as a font groupie? Yeah. And if yes, does being a, uh, uh, sorry, a foundry groupie, does that make the most business sense for you as a, as a buyer? Yeah. And then does a foundry, do they want foundry groupies are they is that the goal (laughs) are you curating your releases to be a one-stop shop or do you kind of stay within your identity stay within your means and you understand that people are going to come to you sometimes and not others so those i that's more than two questions that's a lot of questions and i need you to sort this out for me i love the the idea of separating this question down into two real groups font buyers and and foundries um you know with the perspectives of both uh, I also am intrigued by this idea of font groupies. Um, I think the term is kind of funny. I like the idea of kind of Beatlemania happening for right. a type foundry, which is screaming. hilarious. Not quite accurate, but uh, it's a funny the newest, The newest font comes out from Oh No, <laughs> and you're just screaming at your laptop yeah. at the top of your lungs, and then you right. pass out. I That's how I've always viewed font buyers. <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you. There are some passionate people out there. However, I don't think the mania gets that intense. Um, is there okay, such thing well, as a font groupie uh, from the font buyer's perspective? I would say yes, for sure. There are a lot of people out there who who pick their favorites and they know that certain foundries are going to release things that they like. So it's more of an emotional attachment right. there, emotional play. It, it, it kind of like lines up with the identity of, of font buyers. Like you're expressing your identity through the type foundries you buy from. I know that that's probably very analytical and no one really thinks that way, (laughs) but it's true. You can express yourself by saying, I only buy fonts from Dynamo or I only buy fonts from uh, Carter and Cone, like or commercial type, right? So you can align yourself on what kind of designer you are based on the uh, artistic output of the foundries that you you buy from. But then let me go back to that idea of I would think a font buyer is going to buy the font they need. Yeah. That that your what you're looking for is going to trump everything else. And wouldn't that mean occasionally you have to go off, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty obvious, and I think anyone would do that. But if you're really narrowing your search mm-hmm. to certain foundries, 
isn't that a isn't that limiting and b is that really how font buyers go about it do you think <laughs> uh, i think that is extremely limiting and i would say that the folks uh, the founder groupies font groupies out there um that do have one favorite foundry they that's got to be a minority of font buyers it's got to be uh, that's just a conjecture i don't actually have data on that um but i do feel like most people most designers from agencies and gigantic studios uh, all the way down to individual freelancers they buy the font that they they need so that uh, allegiance only goes so far i guess loyalty is yeah often rewarded but it's it's not the law of the land people forego that pretty quickly for the one they need I mean, it totally makes sense to me in anything. You go to where you you know what you're getting, what you know you can trust. It's why yeah. people will go to a McDonald's when they travel to Europe or <laughs> outside of their own country That's because, right. you know, you're ready to get it. I see this very similarly to like a Broadway show. Okay. A theater produces it, but you're not going because that <laughs> theater has produced good things yeah. in the past. You're going to see the show. And so... Mm. It makes the most sense to me that you would go for the show. You would go for yeah. the font. And hopefully that means that opens your doors to new foundries. Yes. And doesn't limit you. While I understand why someone, I totally understand why someone would like start with a foundry they've known before, bought from before. Yeah. It's probably a first look place, place to go when you're like, I need a font, see what they've got. So in so your overall answer is yes, foundry groupies exist, but they're not the they're not the majority because it, it just, it's not the driving economic force <laughs> in the marketplace. Yeah. So let's move then to the foundry perspective. Does a yeah. foundry try to create a full slate of everything you could want a a buffet of fonts? Mm so that you can be the one-stop shop for people, so they don't need to look away from you? Or is that yeah. just not how they do things? Obviously, every foundry is doing things differently. We have different sized foundries. I'm talking about kind of just an overall, mm -hmm. what, what's kind of the, the vague ultimate goal? Would you want that as a foundry, <laughs> if you could? I think that that's pretty close to what, what actually happens, um, actually. Like, I think that there's an inevitability to growth. You have to constantly find more buyers, get more customers. And you do that through expanding the variety on offer. So yes, I think that foundries goals, who, foundries who have a goal to grow and become larger and do more business, yeah, it, it behooves them to create fonts for a wider and wider audience uh, of buyers. Now, do you think that's how foundries, let's say, of a like medium to small size actually approach <laughs> the next design? Do they try to fill those gaps? Or do maybe they stay more within this is what I this is my identity of the identity of the foundry. Yeah. This is what I know I can do. The smaller the foundry, the more different the answer to that question is. There are, sure. If sure. you have one to five person shops that are creating amazing stuff, they might have different reasons and motivations for getting into designing fonts. So some might say, oh, I, I really have this artistic expression, this angle on type design that I really want to put out there. And they'll, they'll make a whole bunch that are in line with that vision. 
but you'll have some that are like, you know, I'm just starting out, but my goal is to be one of those big ones. Um, and yeah, they kind of hit the big ones first. The, they do a sans, they do a serif, uh, they kind of get the biggest bases out of the way first, um, which I think is pretty common. Going back to the to the large foundries, the ones that can kind of create this world of a one-stop shop, um, mm-hmm. does that create a, a sense of, of competition? Are you really seeking to be, really be it uh, for whoever is buying from you? Yeah, it's, I'd say so. I think there is, especially in today's modern marketing climate, you are, you are cultivating community. It, that's a good thing to do you know, to, to gain loyalty, to have some, some brand evangelists out there who speak on your behalf, who are, will tell their friends about you and, and, you know, kind of spread the word that way. It's a, it's a real advantage to be able to grow a community around your product, um, or your brand of, of foundry. Yeah. I think foundries do do that a lot. And there's a lot of time and money that goes into creating branding and specimens and events and, uh, social media platforms or um, uh, not campaigns, but you know, content for social media. Yeah. That, that, yeah, it's, it's a big investment. Um, and some people do it really well. Some people struggle. Uh, it is not easy by any means, but yeah, I think that the most successful foundries cultivate that community very well. They didn't mean for groupies to happen. Groupies just happened at them. And who are they to say? Maybe no? not groupies, but they, they seek the community. <laughs> The early adopters, the fans, yeah. Yes, eventually you'll probably have uh, somebody, you know, trying to break down your door and, uh, you know, just express their love for your fonts. But that that person's certainly a kook and, and a one-off. Not that helpful. Or steal a lock of your hair. You know, normal stuff. <laughs> normal stuff. So we did put this question out on mm. Twitter last week. Uh, so very scientific. Very scientific. Poll, asking people if they consider themselves a foundry groupie and we got 38 votes not a not a huge amount but That's, it was a quick uh, a offhand amount. poll yeah not a huge not a huge sample here we're transparent about that but i did find it interesting yeah 58 percent said yes they consider themselves a foundry groupie someone who has a favorite foundry that they prefer mm. to fi- buy all of their fonts from really and I, that surprised me i didn't expect i expect it to be like not too different, but I thought no would be the answer more. Again, my my prior yeah. uh, notion was that yep. you buy the font you need. Foundry kind of just is there as a font buyer, but we found that at least 58% felt that they were Foundry groupies. We did ask a bunch of people very much ingrained in the type community, <laughs> so that also makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say about two thirds, um, even just on average, would be uh, a safe bet for saying if if people have favorites or preferences for for type foundries, that's evidence of the type community cultivation at work, right? Right. It just shows that these foundries are finding success in yeah. getting brand evangelists and people who love their stuff. And I do love that people were willing to take on the title of groupie uh, <laughs> with relation to this, but so it did raise the question for me that mm-hmm. if font buyers have their favorites and are going to go back to them nearly exclusively, let's say, yeah, how hard is that on newer or smaller foundries? Assuming mm. that they don't have the full slate, they don't have the one-stop shop 
setup. If you're already in a position where you need to attract the eyes of a font buyer away from the place that they've said, we're going to, I'm going to go there and only there. Right. And on top of that, the small foundry may not ever be able to become that one-stop shop. We were talking about earlier, that idea of opportunity cost. Well, here that shows up again. Mm -hmm. They may not want to spend the time on another geometric sans or a Dado lookalike when that's been, that's, (laughs) you know, that's time spent, that's money spent. So how, A, how hard is this on on a smaller foundry? And B, what kind of goes into their mentality when that ultimate goal of becoming a one-stop shop isn't really on the table? Yeah, Yeah, this is for me where the ugly head of, two-faced head of capitalism rears. Janus. Rears itself up. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So capitalism is, is both really cool and bad in this sense. Like it is really hard on smaller foundries because they have uh, not only to compete with a, you know, 300 other foundries who are selling fonts, but they have to compete with people, font, other font buyers that have already kind of produced their allegiance to other foundries. So yes, extremely hard nowadays, as opposed to in the past where uh, there were fewer competitors in the market. But you know this this is where you have to admit that innovation there's an opportunity for innovation and uniqueness here. You know that's kind of what capitalism does to you. If the mentality of a smaller foundry from that point has to say, all right, how can I differentiate? How can I be unique? How can I be me? How what voice right. do I have that I can lend to this conversation that isn't being expressed yet? And so I think it's a good thing ev- eventually for newer types that look different. I think it, it, it's always a struggle because you, you want to produce stuff that sells quick, but you also want to produce stuff that is different in order to make a name for yourself and make a splash. So uh, smaller foundries these days are faced with this conundrum of, do I make something that just is going to sell quick or something that is going to um, maybe boost my visibility for more fonts down the road? And I think we're starting to see people embrace that latter option. It's smaller foundries that say, yeah, let's take the risk. Let's go out there. There are already a million, um, you know, easy geosans mm-hmm. options. Let's let's take a different tack. And unfortunately, I, it is on the burden is on the foundry to find that path because it's hard to tell yeah. the font buyers. You know, I I thought about ending this yeah. episode saying like. Hey, you know, go look at a foundry you've never looked at before. But that is kind of the equivalent of telling all the people screaming at the Beatles, hey, you should go to the dive bar next door and listen. (laughs) Go find a different band. Go listen. (laughs) You know, people can like what they like. It's I'm not trying to. So it ultimately it is on the foundry to kind of create that that business path for themselves, which is, of course, easier said than done. And who am I? But it's worth it. (laughs) <laughs> but do it. But do it. That's we're like Nike, except instead of just do it, it's but do it. <laughs> but but do it. Yep. But do it. That's fair. <laughs> uh, are you a foundry groupie, Josh? Just to ask the the question. I am not, though. Yeah. Just the basic us doing the work we do. I don't see how I could only look to one foundry and everything. 
I, I think you, you know, have some favorites, yeah. I, they're, oh, everyone has favorites. That's not right. the conversation here. Right. Everyone has their favorite uh, foundry. It's a. It's more of a... But you're not buying t-shirts like, and screaming outside their office. You're just like obsessed. I guess obsession <laughs> is part of the idea too. That's a good point. Uh, and no, I'm not obsessed with uh, any foundry except for future fonts. Well, you heard it here, folks. Yeah, Josh is uh, is here to be one. Yeah, make your case. Available to be a groupie. That's it for this week's Interrogang. This episode was edited by Andrew Spheris, who provides most of the original music you hear on the Interrogang podcast. The music you are listening to right now is Cut It Loose by Max Band. The Interrogang is a production of Proof & Co., and every episode can be found on our website, proofco.xyz slash podcast, as well as on the podcasting app of your choice. Links to all the releases highlighted in our episodes, in addition to a wide array of other typed news and notes, can be found in our weekly newsletter, which you can also subscribe to by clicking on the link included in our episode notes. We can be found on Twitter at proof underscore and underscore co, or you can always drop us a line via email at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any thoughts on what we discussed in this episode, have any topics you would like to hear discussed on a future interrogate, or if you collect locks of hair from your favorite type designers, we'd love to hear from you. And so would the police. <laughs> As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We will see you next time. <laughs>